We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parham. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. My good friend Ryan Brown, the next round, joins on the show, as he does quite frequently throughout the football season and beyond. Ryan, how are you? Neil, I'm fantastic. You doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, it's been been a busy week. I don't know whether I'm braced for uh, like a super busy month of December or what I'm looking at. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, obviously, the focus right now is on Ole Miss and Alabama Saturday at uh, 2.30. Um, Alabama's an 11.5-point favorite. I've talked to so many people who think that line's too big. I, I initially thought it was too small, and people have talked me out of it, and they've talked me into thinking Ole Miss could cover and maybe Ole Miss could win because of Alabama's road woes. You watch Alabama every week, obviously, because you have to talk about them a lot. Are the road woes just a uh, – is it a real thing, or is it is it something that we're just sort of picking on? Is it coincidental, or is, is there something that's happening with that team that where they're not as good as they used to be on the road? No, I think we've got a good enough sample size to now know it is a legit issue. It's not just uh, occasional uh, – really, if you go back the last two seasons, if you combine the last two seasons – True road games, not neutral side now, not Atlanta or the college football playoff, but true road games. Alabama has only played one good one, and that was Mississippi State last year in Starkville. Um, outside of that, Alabama has been at times bad on the road. And and this year, just as an example, you know, at Texas, Alabama had, uh, I think, 15 total penalties in that game. I don't have it in front of me, 11 in the first half. And... Had to kick a field goal. I mean, Bryce Young had to be superhuman in the final drive. They kick a field goal at the horn to win the game. At Arkansas, build a big lead. Now, the one caveat on this one I'll give you is Bryce Young got hurt in this game. Sure, absolutely. But it was, I believe, 14 to nothing when Young got hurt. Milrow comes in, they build a big lead, and then they just kind of let off the gas now. But they ended up covering in that game. But that... That was a weird game. That was a weird game, no doubt about it. That game was a play away. I've talked about this. That game was one play away from getting really weird. Alabama was up 28-23. to Arkansas had scored. Uh, they kicked off late third quarter and forced a third and 10, maybe even a third and 15, to start the fourth quarter. And uh, Milrow had a, broke a big run, and from that point forward, Alabama won the game. But I've always wondered, boy, if you could change a play in that, change that to yeah. make it a sack. Right, let that crowd go nuts, and you got to punt to them. And the way that was going, maybe they score. Arkansas goes up 30-28. to 28. Maybe we're talking about a totally different deal. But it didn't happen. They won that game, and they covered, and they looked good. And I kind of thought, they're fine. You know, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, they're fine. They don't, they don't have their starting quarterback, right? You know, he'll be back at some point. It didn't appear, you know, at the time, you didn't know how serious it was. But um, And then, you know, at, uh, at Tennessee, Alabama has 17 penalties. And look, I, I'm not, you know, Alabama fans got upset about it thinking, you know, they got the raw deal, which I know the rest of the conference loves hearing Alabama fans complain about getting the raw deal. But 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 Alabama fans thought they got the raw deal. And frankly, Neil, you know, there were a lot of past interferences that you're like, I don't know if I saw that or whatever. You can't argue pre-snap penalties. I mean, when you've got too many men on the field, you've got delays of game, you've got illegal procedures, you've got illegal shifts. 
you know, you, illegal formations, stuff like that. You just can't argue those. That that that's not, you know, a ref looking for something. Those are obvious penalties, and they do those on the road. They don't do them at home. So, seventeen penalties at Tennessee, and some bonehead plays, and just you know, out of sorts. And then at LSU, it was the same thing all over again. Alabama drives all the way down the field to start the game. Offense looks unstoppable. Defense had already gotten a hold after a personal foul, by the way. Defense had gotten a hold, and I thought that was a questionable late hit on the quarterback. And then Bryce Young commits a turnover, and Alabama's offense is not the same the rest of the game. And you know this, man. You've seen the, in the Saban era these road Alabama teams come into Oxford, and they it's 21 to nothing. The stadium's all jazz. You know, this is the night. You know, we're ending Alabama's undefeated season. Yeah, yeah, and it's 21 nothing before the anthem's done. And, and you're like, well, what the crap just happened? How, do, how is Alabama already up 21 nothing on us? And the game's over. They don't do that anymore. They just don't have that gene in them anymore for some reason. I remember doing Peter Burns' show, and I think I think I pissed him off. It was in the morning. It was on a Friday morning. Alabama was coming here in, during the Matt Luke era, I think. And he said, give me a scenario where Ole Miss wins the game. And I said, there's not one. <laughs> and it was just my way. I wasn't trying to be a jackass. I just said, there's not one. And he goes, no. he got irritated. He said, well, you know, you don't have any more optimism than that. I said, it's not my job to be optimistic. It's my job to cover the team. And you asked me for a scenario where Ole Miss wins the game and there's not one. He said, well, give no. me, he goes, give me a scenario where it's close. And I said, there's not one. And he's got so angry. But this is different, right? I mean, yeah. And that was, yep. and that was a different, oh, to, to prove your point, that was an era where Alabama felt invincible, and it was an era where Ole Miss wasn't very good. Now, Ole Miss has not lost a home game in, I don't know what it's been, 12 games, 13 games, something like that. It's been yeah. a bunch of games. They've been, Lane's been really good at home since he got to Ole Miss, and Alabama's not invincible. And so you, you look at it and you go, well, maybe. You know, if, if, if I was doing his show now, and I've never been invited back on, I probably won't be. Um, if he said, give me a scenario, I think I could do it. So I'll ask you, give me oh, a, yeah. give me a scenario where Ole Miss wins the game. What would, what would you think you would see if, if I told you Ole Miss won? Um, I, I would say, so my perception of Ole Miss, let, let, let me start right here. Make sure my perception of Ole Miss from the games I've watched, I've watched all of Ole Miss, Kentucky, all of Ole Miss, Auburn, uh, and then, you know, um, all of Ole Miss, LSU, parts of Ole Miss here and there. But I mean, I've watched those entire games this year, right? Um, and my perception of Ole Miss is anytime they play somebody with a halfway competent run offense, they've been able to run the ball on Ole Miss fairly effectively. Am, am, I, am I off on that? No, it's more than fair. Yeah. More than fair. Yeah. And here, frankly, in the last four games, even including Vanderbilt, they've been they've been pretty uh, – they've struggled on defense. I mean, they've, they've yeah. made some plays and gotten it done a couple of times, but it's been, it's been iffy. They've had some injuries. Yeah. Um, They've had some issues. They don't have that defensive tackle that I think you wish you had, you know, and they've got really one quality linebacker in Troy Brown, and he's hurt. And now he's back this week, but how healthy is he? Those There's some questions. Yeah. And then in the secondary, yeah, they've, they've been okay. They do some things. Yeah. But, yeah, no, that's more than fair. Yeah, and, and, and specifically, I watched Auburn run for almost 300 yards, and Auburn's not a good run team. So, And I know a lot of that came from the quarterback spot that Alabama doesn't get. But here's the thing Alabama does. It's so perplexing, and Conor O'Gara of Saturday Down South pointed this stat out. Alabama is third in the nation in yards per carry, third in the nation, and it's just under six. It was over six until, I think, the state game. Alabama had a weird rush game against state. Five, you know, 5.9 yards per carry, which is really good. Obviously good. It's third in the nation. Yet they're 88th in the nation in rush attempts. So, so make that make sense for me, Neil. I mean, it just doesn't. It just doesn't make sense how you're that good per attempt. So how many times are you going to attempt it? Oh, I don't know, 88th in the nation. That's what we're going to do. Is that Bill O'Brien trying yep. to be too much NFL at the college level? I, I think so. I think so. Bill O'Brien's offense. So this is so perplexing because I've seen his name mentioned for like big, you know, Nebraska or – you know, whatever other open to Wisconsin or even Auburn. I've seen people talk about him from Auburn, and Auburn fans would riot if that's their hire. <laughs> but but it, I had a national, respected national, respected by some, uh, national college football writer reach out to me and talk to me about Bill O'Brien. I was like, Alabama fans would pay to take him or pay Nebraska to take him. He's like, are you serious? They want to get rid of Bill O'Brien? He won the Heisman last year. I was like, 
Yeah, but watch his offenses. No, they just don't. There's no rhythm. And and Alabama fans got spoiled because they went from Lane Kiffin to Steve, Steve Sarkeesian. And say what you want about Sark as a head coach. I think Lane's proven to be a better head coach than Sark. Say what you want about a Sark as a head coach. Both those guys know how to call a football game. Oh, for sure. They're two of the best, best in the business. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And they know how to call a football game. So Alabama fans got really spoiled. And even before Lane, you had Brian Dable. Who is? Hey, <laughs> can't argue with you. Cannot argue yeah. with Nick Saban's ability to pick coaches. No, no. I mean, Dable Dable's got the Giants a playoff contender. That, that's right. And, and let me correct myself. That was between Lane and and, and Sarkisian. You have Brian Dable. Now he was saddled with Jalen Hurts before Jalen Hurts figured it all out. And Saban would not go to Tonga Valoa. I would love to have seen Brian Dable with Tua. Uh, I mean, it, it, there's no telling what Alabama's offense would have looked like with that set of receivers in Tua under Brian Dable, but 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 you didn't get to see that. And then you went to Loxley, and then you went to Sarkeesian. So they had they had Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian kind of bookended there, and they got really spoiled. And Bill O'Brien just is not that guy. So a long-winded answer to your question: How does Ole Miss win this thing? If Alabama doesn't commit to the run, that's where Alabama gets in trouble. When for whatever reason. They go away from the run game, and 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 they get in trouble doing that. And then defensively, you know, Ole Miss loves to run the football, and you can run it on Alabama a little bit. But I, I think it would need, you know, Jackson Dart needs to have a really good day, which you can do against Alabama secondary. Alabama secondary's committed a lot of penalties, and I've, I've seen a lot of teams just third and long, they throw it up, and Alabama's one on one, and they commit a penalty. You get a lot of man coverage from Alabama. So when the quarterback flushes, like Jaden Daniels did. Everybody's got their back to the quarterback. So there's quarterback rush yards available against this Alabama defense. So I, I would say your path is Jackson Dart has a good, clean day. and Alabama goes away from the run. They are very beatable in these situations, not to mention all the penalties. If Alabama has penalties like they've been having on the road, this will be a tight, tight game. At times, this has not seemed to be the most focused Alabama team in the world. And I'm curious about this because Alabama now, realistically, is playing an inconsequential game by Alabama standards. Alabama's not used to, hey, you know, the difference between nine wins and ten wins is the Sugar Bowl as opposed to the Citrus. Alabama's used to playing for the title. Realistically, they're not playing for the title. I mean, I know that they could talk themselves into it if – Arkansas beats LSU, and they could say, well, hey, look, if we win and then Texas A&M beats them, yeah. but that, you, that's a lot of ifs. Yeah, that's um, a lot of ifs, yeah. So, you know, for the sake of it, let's say this is inconsequential from a championship standpoint. How do you anticipate a program that's not used to that at all responding to that? Well, we haven't seen it since 2010. I mean, that is the last time, Neil, that Alabama will have taken a snap where realistically they don't have a shot at the college football playoff for the BCS. Think about that now. 2010. It's unbelievable. I mean, it, it really is. It's incredible consistency. But that was the last time Alabama was just out of it. Like, there was no realistic path to the college football playoff for the BCS. And so this team, obviously, has never had to do that. I don't know. I mean, we just have not seen this out of this program. This has not proven to be the most mentally – mature team so i mean it does make me wonder it just this team without being in the locker room and without nick saban having point blank said this though he has kind of danced around saying it this strikes me as a team whose leadership is poor um and i don't think it's a reflection on bryce young but you've seen bryce young interviewed neil he's just a real soft-spoken guy he is respected in that locker room but i don't think bryce young's the type of guy that's going to take a locker room over Everybody's like, hey, you know, let's make sure we do this right. Bryce is on our back. I think he's just a chill, laid-back California kid. Great player, but just really soft-spoken. And I just don't know who the dog is. You know, I thought it was Will Anderson on defense. Um, but he just hasn't, you know, his numbers, I'm not going to say he hasn't. I don't grade the film. But his numbers haven't been what everybody thought they would be. He's got seven sacks. And I think by now people thought he would easily have double-digit sacks. So I just don't know where the leadership is on this team. So people always do this. Um, I refuse to do it because I think it's stupid. But I'll ask because <laughs> enough people do it where I'm like, well, maybe I'm maybe I'm stubbornly sticking to something. People say Saban's lost a step. The dynasty's yeah. over. You can feel it slipping away, blah, blah, blah. And I'm always like, that's ah, dumb. And I agreed. Kiffin said it on Monday. And I was like, yep, you're right. Even though Kiffin was like, hey, I'm not going there. That is goat fuel. Nope. Yep. But I'm kiffing here. I'm like, nah, come on. Yeah, it's two really close games. Now, they could easily be a four-loss team, 
They could have lost sure. to Texas. Could have lost to Texas A and M easily, easily, easily. Given I mean, Texas A and M needed to convert one two point play and they, they win the game. Um, but they didn't. So they they split these four games. So they probably are what they are, which is a two loss team, which is not a disaster. But I'm being long winded now. Has he lost a step? I I don't know that Nick Saban has lost a step. I think Nick Saban is the way he approaches this. And now I'm I'm going to come back with a big caveat on the back end of this. The way he approaches this, um, as far as as demanding as he as he is on players and as tough as he can be to play and coach for, but primarily play for. In this era of the minute a kid gets pissed, he's in the portal. The minute a kid doesn't get the NIL money he thought he was going to get at Alabama because Bryce Young got two and a half, three million. Um, it's a, it's a, he's having to deal with players. And you talk with former players who are like, who say the same thing you say, like it's insane to talk about him losing a step. However, I've played for. I've heard so many of his former players say that, like, this is a different guy. You know, you still see him get fiery on the sidelines, but. You know, the way he kind of publicly coddles a team now, he never did that for us, you know. So I do think he's approaching it differently. Now, here's the big caveat. Kirby Smart's a younger version of the same guy, and it's working for Kirby. Like, um, former Alabama receiver Mike McCoy is doing a deal with AL.com now where he breaks the game down and gives his opinion. And, you know, his hot take was, oh, it's all NIL. You know, these guys don't play hard for NIL guys do i mean they're they're making money and i mean i watched that tennessee game those guys played their tail off and speaking of tennessee those guys are playing hard so you're telling me it's only nil at alabama i don't buy into that i mean everybody's dealing with that neil we all get softer as we get older most of us i mean i know i have y'all joked about me on your show on wednesday about how i used to be what hard is what did, what did, what did you always said uh, hard is a hard, i think inmate hard like prison prison yeah. hard you're like, prison Mike. I called you prison Mike. Prison from, Mike uh, from the office. Yeah, <laughs> I never knew I was. I came across that way, but I guess maybe I did. I'm certainly not that way. Not now. the way we're talking. It's not the way we're talking about. Yeah, that. you yeah, got to understand. Yeah, that. yeah. I'm. I'm. I, I've gotten softer as I got older. There's no question. And I mean, so it's possible. Nick Saban, who's his grandfather now, right? I mean, it's possible yeah. that that he's I, you know that he's just kind of. He's won everything. There's nothing more to win. There's nothing. All he can do is just add layers to his legacy. But he could lose 55 to nothing tomorrow, uh, Saturday. Lose to, who do they play? Austin P. Lose to Auburn and then go lose in the Las Vegas Bowl and everybody, and then announce his retirement. And nobody would ever talk about the end. They would talk about, oh, no. He's, yeah. the, he's the GOAT. He's yep. the guy. So, Maybe it's just, you know, when you run out of things to play for, you mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just Well, no, I I do think there were there were two there have been two if you talk to people close to Nick Saban and you would never get this out of Nick Saban. He might give you an answer, but I don't know that it would be, you know, a, an actual I don't know. I don't know that it'd be the answer you want. But if you talk to people close to him, there have been two transformative things in his personal life. Maybe not just two, but there have been two big public ones in his time in Tuscaloosa. The first one came in the 2011 tornadoes. Horrible day in this state, man. Hundreds of people died. And a lot of them in Tuscaloosa. And and the campus was affected. The city was, I mean, just devastated, right? And that had a profound effect on Nick Saban. And he saw these coaches, you know it, Neil, they are the worst in the world about getting in this tunnel and in this bubble. And they don't even know the outside's going on, but you couldn't avoid that one. And that had a that had a huge impact on Nick Saban, and he and his wife were extremely generous in that time and helped rebuild homes and their their charity donated homes. And I think what that trend that, that made Nick Saban, you know, he'd only been the coach at Alabama since '07, so he'd been there seven, eight, nine, ten, and they were about to have the eleven season. And I think that made him that, that ingrained him in the community, right? A, a guy that everybody was talking about, you know, Nick Saban's going to leave, he's going to coach. I think he he developed roots in that community in that time. And the other one you mentioned it was becoming a grandfather. When he became a grandfather, I don't I'm not going to say it softened him, but I think when I became a father, and you you're the same way. You and I have talked about this. It yeah. changes your it changes your view your worldview, right? Everything. Yeah, everything's about those kids, man. I gotta I gotta provide for those kids and take care of those kids. And I and I imagine, and I've heard this when you become a grandfather, it's like that times ten maybe. So those are two informative things that maybe just changed his outlook and maybe softened him a bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt that that, that has happened. 
Before we move on to the other topic, I want to discuss with you. Do you have a kind of a thought on who wins this game? I'm, I'm, I, go ahead and finish your sentence because I, I I'm not even sure. I was going to say you you normally are pretty bullish on Alabama. God, you should be. They've won 99 percent of the games that you watch when when they play, and so I would be too if I were in that shoes. And I'm still catching myself inclined to do the Bama Respect Week and go. They're just going to win because that's what they do, and yet. I don't know. There's something that feels funny about it. I agree. I agree. I am done thinking that this Alabama team is going to wake up on the road. I, week after week, I've been like, okay, it's happened twice now. It's not going to happen three times. And it just keeps happening to Alabama on the road. So I'm not going to believe in road Alabama anymore. Normally, I would have told you, look, Neil, this is a great story with Ole Miss. Great job by Lane Kiffin. You know, it comes to an end now. Um, I still think Alabama will win this game, but I think it's going to be a tight, hardball win. The, the caveat, and I brought this up to you when you were with us Wednesday, and I don't know what would happen in this situation, but let's assume for a second Arkansas beats LSU. Now, this game is everything for Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin. I know what the crowd will do. Would do, right? I wonder how they would handle that. I don't know. They all openly admitted that they were disappointed that Alabama lost to LSU. They were hoping Alabama would win the game. So I think based on that, they would view it as, well, son of a bitch. We just got it, got our gift back. It's as if they did it. So we control our own destiny. Let's go. I think. But man, you never know. Like you, you go don't. into a, you go into a game and you think, hey, Arkansas just lost to Liberty. And looked like crap doing it. And LSU beat Alabama. And they beat us. And we know what they did to us. And LSU's winning that game. Which is, by the way, what I think. I think LSU's winning. And I think they're winning fairly easily. But, you know, you're down there warming up. And you start hearing a buzz in the crowd. And someone says it. It gets out. Because it's going to get out, obviously. Arkansas 31, LSU 28, final. Yeah. Yeah. When you walk back into that tunnel one last time to get ready or whatever, or it's at 2.20 when the game ends in Fayetteville, and then maybe they're even showing it on the Jumbotron or something, and you're watching the Arkansas people celebrating or whatever, and you're like, oh, my God, this just changed. Yeah. I, who knows? I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's going to come to that, though. I, I, I don't. Yeah. I, I think LSU's going to win that game. I mean, it's going to be cold and all that stuff in Fayetteville, but it's not wet. If you told me it was wet, I'd be like, oh, maybe – because they tend to play really well in that environment when that happens, but I, I just think I think uh, I think LSU wins. I, I, yeah, I'm kind of with you. So I, I say all that to say that would be, obviously be a factor that would change this whole thing. Um, funny you said 31-28. That's kind of the score I was thinking about for this game. I think Alabama will win. I think this is going to be a tight game. Wouldn't stun me if Ole Miss is trail, uh, leading even late into the fourth quarter and it comes down to another Bryce Young drive. That's the one consistent thing with Young. Every single time they need him to drive, needed him to drive the field. He did it against Texas for the win. He did it against uh, Tennessee, uh, even though they missed the field goal. He got Alabama in field goal range. Should have been a closer field goal. He had one dropped. Um, he did it against LSU to force overtime. Scored again in overtime. They kicked the point. LSU goes for two. So every time Young's been called on in that situation, like, hey, gotta have you man game on the line he has answered every single time yeah he's a damn magician he's amazing oh he is he's a terrific college football player um all right you mentioned lane kiffin i'm not gonna keep you much longer but i'd be i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you about this i know you got about five or six minutes before you got to go um lane kiffin to auburn everybody's talking about it uh jay tate and i do g pits every week and jay firmly believes that auburn is focused on lane kiffin that they're going to probably offer the job to Lane Kiffin doesn't know that Lane will take it or not take it you're there in that state you hear things uh are we just assuming that that's who they want or is are you hearing this from credible people too that hey that that's Auburn's pretty focused on Lane Kiffin well I think that there there are two leading names among the Auburn brass and both of them oddly have deep Ole Miss ties it is Hugh Freeze and Lane Kiffin and 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 I don't think it's any accident that it's those two guys. And and in one case, you know, the kind of the hot up and coming offensive guys, weird to call Lane Kiffin up and coming. He's been a head coach forever, going back to you know 2009 at Tennessee. But um, but it, it's a guy that's got you know he's got a lot of gravitas, and people are excited about the way he he calls offense, and he's not afraid to go after Nick Saban and. You know, I, I think I think a lot of people like that. And then there's Hugh Freeze, who actually beat Nick Saban twice in a row 
And I think that gets people's attention, right? That was an offense that gave Alabama trouble every time Alabama played Ole Miss. Even in wins, uh, the Hugh Freeze offense gave them trouble. And to a certain extent, Ole Miss has as well. Now, the, the get your popcorn ready didn't quite go that way. But anyway, all that said, I think those are your two choices. And I think Hugh Freeze feels like a little bit of a safer choice in the aspect of Lane does. There's a lot of extra mustard with Lane. Ole Miss fans know that. Yeah, and it's that's just not an Auburn type thing. You're going to have to say, "All right, we're going to accept the guy doing stuff differently than we've he's ever done it here, than any coach has ever done it here." Hugh Freeze isn't that guy. Hugh Freeze is more from the Pat Dye, Tommy Tuberville mold of the way he approaches the game. But I mean, I don't have to tell your audience what the baggage is for Hugh Freeze, and there are a lot of people at Auburn that can't get past that. And it remains to be seen if two of those people are new athletic director John Cohen from Mississippi State, now at Auburn, and the school president, Chris Roberts. If those two can't get past it, it's going to be hard to hire Hugh Freeze. So then you've got Lane Kiffin, who I do think is the popular choice. But I think, you know, there are going to be a lot of people that fear that Lane and Jimmy Sexton are playing Auburn. They're just trying to get out of Ole Miss, whatever it is they want out of Ole Miss. And if Lane beats Alabama Saturday and if the Auburn job is there, he's never had more leverage in his entire life than that one. Yeah, and I think Ole Miss, excuse me, Ole Miss is going to give him literally every penny that is available to give. Yeah, and, and, and there's this school of thought. Let me tell you what, and I know the people at Auburn know better than this, but there are a lot of fans that think this whole four-year contract limitation means, well, God, we can just outbid them. They don't understand how that's only the state portion of what Lane's getting paid privately through the athletic, you know, channels, uh, the athletic booster, whatever, athletic fund, I don't know what they call it at Ole Miss. He's getting paid more than that, and that's where his buyout Loyalty from. Foundation. Yeah, okay, there you go. And 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 what, what a fan never really looks at is they look at how much you're getting paid per year. The true, and you know this, Neil, the true value in any coach's contract is the buyout. It's not what you have to pay me to show up at work every day. It's what you have to pay me to stop showing up at work every day. That's the value in any coach's contract. So, you know, if Auburn wants to guarantee Lane, I mean, what's he making seven and a half right now at Ole Miss? He's making seven and a half. They're going to get him to ten. The, the, you're you're on to this, and I said this on your show Wednesday. And I've had people tell me, the reason I've kind of come up with this is people say, if I told you Lane Kiffin's the coach at Auburn, what does that tell you? And I think they're wanting me to tell them, well, Ole Miss will hire X. And I always say, it tells me that Auburn guaranteed $100 million. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's 100% fair. I mean, I look at what, if I'm Lane Kiffin, my sales job, or Jimmy Sexton, is look what Texas A&M is paying Jimbo Fisher. And if anybody's smart, they said they're paying them that because of you, Jimmy. And he would say, well, I know. but Jimmy but doing guy, his job. My guy's bad. I mean, Lane Kiffin's better. I think any any job in America, if you said you can have Jimbo Fisher or Lane Kiffin, nil 100% of them go Lane Kiffin right now. Yes. Why, why would you not? Of course. So if, if Jimbo's getting that at A&M, if I'm Jimmy Sex, I'm like, my guy deserves that or more. And if Kirby's getting what he's getting, now Kirby's won you know, a national championship, played for another one, and save it. So those guys are kind of in a different stratosphere. But I look at that and I say, hey, that's obviously the cost of doing business. Look like what Nick's making, look like what Kirby's making, look like what Jimbo's making. My guy is, is, is at that level. So I'm with you. I think that's what the deal would look like. Last thing, I'm going to throw this one last hypothetical at you. Let's say, for kicks and giggles, that Lane Kiffin stays at Ole Miss. Say let's let's just do let's do conservative. Let's say he wins ten games this year, goes to a bowl game, whatever. Let's say that next season he does the same thing, ten wins, mm-hmm. ten wins at Ole Miss three years in a row is high cotton. Nobody's ever done it. Pretty good. Um, stays another year, keeps winning. Nick Saban seventy three. Nick Saban finally says, "Okay, you know what? I do enjoy this grandfather thing. I'm 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 ready. The game's changed. I'm ready. I'm, I'm, it's time." I know today Nick say, uh, Lane Kiffin is not the guy at Alabama if, if, if Nick walked away now. Could you see a scenario in two years where he would be? The scenario you just laid out is a far more – it's far more beneficial to him being that guy. You're right. Today there's not, not a chance. Not right. A chance. Um, but if he continues to have that type of success, the – Scars and hurt feelings of the people in Tuscaloosa, and and without going too deep into it, I would just tell you, Neil, that I don't I don't, I don't think Lane left behind a lot of good feelings in Tuscaloosa. And yeah, for sure. I think a, I think a lot of that gets healed if you were like, yeah, but look what he's doing at Ole Miss. 
you know, could, and he's could changed, we give him... And he's changed a lot since then. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, so, you know, I think as time goes on, some of that will get healed. And in the scenario you played out, yeah, I think Lane's considered. If it were today, he wouldn't be. But I think in the scenario, if Lane continues to show signs of personal maturity and if he continues to produce on the field at Ole Miss that way, it is a possibility. And I know what you're getting at. If that is Lane's ultimate goal, don't know if it is or isn't, going to Auburn ends that forever. I know. And, and I think I think that's another aspect of the Auburn deal. If Lane too. thinks he's on the Nick Saban shortlist, you don't go to Auburn. You can't. You cannot do that if that's what you want to do. I agree. I think it's a factor. I don't know that it's a big enough factor to stop if they put – 10 years, $115 million on the table. I mean, what do you, you got to say yes, probably, but it's got to be on your mind that, because I, there's no doubt, Ryan, no doubt. I mean, I, he hasn't told me this because Lane doesn't tell people stuff, but there's no doubt that Lane Kiffin would prefer to, if you offered him, hey, you can be the head coach at Alabama or the head coach at Auburn. He's at Alabama. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, the, the way it's going right now, I don't know why. And, and these guys are going to be like, yeah, I got to follow Saban, but all these guys have egos. They think they can. Pick it up and keep going. Of course. Um, I would say this, and I can't remember if I said it on your show or not. My prediction, my official prediction for Nick Saban's replacement, even before he coached his first game this year, was Dan Lanning. I know. You said it here, and I paid attention to it, and I think you're right. Because Auburn talked about Dan Lanning. I'm like, Dan Lanning's not leaving Oregon for Auburn. Dan Lanning, he's waiting for – because Dan Lanning would be on the very short list at Alabama, and he'd be on the very short list at Georgia. If Kirby said, you know what, I'm, I don't want, oh, yeah. I don't want yeah. to do this until I'm 60. I, there's no reason to. I don't want to. I'm good. Yep. And, and, hey, a lot of people who know Kirby Smart do not believe he is going to be a lifer. No, he's making too much money. I mean, this guy's making $10 million a year. You coach that five more years. Your, your kids don't have to do a whole lot of work. Your kids don't have to work. You can go play golf. You can chase your wife around and, and, and go be an analyst to make a couple mil and, oh, walk in park. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, everybody who knows him, and I, I don't claim to, but I know people who do, and they all say the same thing. He won't coach into his 70s the way that Nick has. So I believe that. I do believe that about Kirby. Hey, as always, thanks so much for your time. You're always generous with it. We really appreciate it. I hope you have a, uh, a wonderful weekend, and we hope to talk to you soon. You too, Neil. It's going to be a fun game. Look forward to it, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you, my man. I appreciate you very much. All right, brother. You too, man. Enjoyed it. Bye. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.
Parker Fleming joins now. I've been looking forward to this for a long time, Parker. Uh, I was telling you right before we got started, I look at your stuff every single week. It's like one of the highlights of the middle of my week. Um, I, I can't wait to talk to you about it. First, you guys should follow Parker. It's at Stats O-War, S-T-A-T-S-O-W-A-R on uh, Twitter. He's a great Twitter follow. Uh, if you are interested in TCU or even if you just like football, uh, the uh, Purple Theory podcast is up, and then his YouTube show, uh, Bet US College Football. You can uh, check that out on YouTube. All great stuff. Uh, thanks for joining me. I know you're busy, and I appreciate you taking some time. No, absolutely, man. I'm I'm glad to be here and glad to talk. And um, yeah, I know we've we've chatted a bunch. I'm glad to finally get on air here. This is great. Yeah. Um. So I have so many questions about it because I look at it every single week. I start week one, and I just kind of follow it. I have a competition with uh, Tyler Siski. He and I, former uh, Alabama assistant, Ole Miss assistant, South Alabama assistant. He and I have a show, McCready and Siski. We have this competition, and we pick five NFL games and basically six college games every week. And uh, the loser, we're both going to Boise for the famous potato bowl or whatever it's called. And the loser can't wear a hoodie or a jacket and has to has to wear a shirt that says potatoes have feelings too or whatever. And, you know, basically we're just going to harass each other. So I want to win, but no big deal. It's fine. If I lose, I'm not dying or anything, but I want to win. And your, your predictions, not predictions, your breakdowns are one of my tools that I use because one of my deals is I can't pick any SEC games. I have to go totally outside the SEC while I cover the SEC. And so I'm like studying Sunbelt and Pac-12 and Big 12. And I use your uh, your your analytics. So I'm curious. Give me a little bit about your background. How did you come into doing that? And then what all goes into those things? Yeah. Well, f- first I'll say, man, that's that's awesome. That's exactly what I made these for. Is I wanted to have like a one sheet where I could just know what to know about a game and look at it. And so I'm so glad that other people can use it. Um, and uh, hopefully it'll work out. And you don't have to. You get to wear a jacket on the sidelines. Um, yeah. So I I was a uh, liberal arts undergrad. I went to TCU, studied studied religion with an economics minor, and um, have always been interested in college football. And and really just kind of got interested in economics and the numbers and, and math kind of things a little bit too late in my uh, undergrad career to do that. So I went back to uh, went to grad school and got a master's in in economics. And um, it was a bunch of math. Just took a bunch of math, and I was really bored by it. And so started using you know, college football is a, a procrastination tool, obviously talking to, you know, talking to and following Bill Conley, Brian Fremo, Aaron Schatz at Football Outsiders, some of those guys. Um, and even like, you know, the Ken Palm website, I've always really loved that. And, 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 and so just have tried to, as I've kind of procrastinated and gotten to know a little bit more of the statistical software and play around with this college football data, I've just always wanted to ask and answer interesting questions about college football and started, you know, kind of covering TCU specifically and writing and and podcasting about them. And then of course you think, well, how good are they? Well, let's compare them to their opponents. Well, how good are their opponents? We've got to compare them. And, and, you know, you go down the line and you're like, ah, well, I need a way to figure out how to rank all these 130 teams and how to better interpret what's going on in the field, you know, because the final score is sometimes very misleading about kind of what actually happened. Um, And so that's all I really do right now is just try and create tools, graphs, charts, you know, references that help us understand what to look for in a matchup, what to look for to compare the relative strength of two teams and to help us better understand how, um, how teams performed in a game and what was lucky, what was sustainable back and forth. And that's turned into, you know, I have a little website, cfb-graphs.com where I've got some leaderboards. I've got some, um, you know, I do, I talk about games on my, on my bet us show and the podcast and everything. And so it's kind of ramped up from there, but mostly just, I'm interested in how can numbers help us understand what happened on the field? Do you find that as the season goes on, the numbers become more accurate? And when I say that, I'm talking about like the win probability, the projected points. Do you find that that becomes more um, reliable as the year goes on? You know, I've, I, so I use preseason priors, right? I have a little model that says, hey, based on where you were last year, your returning production, your coach continuity, and some randomness with your schedule, how much do I expect you to improve year over year? Um, and I hold on to those pretty decently early on because I think they're a good signal. Um, but very quickly, teams will tell you who they are. And um, I so I try to phase those out relatively quickly. And the way I've kind of tested and trained that is to maximize, you know, win probability and, and, and information 
Um, but I'm probably a little more aggressive on that. By about week six, I'm 95, 96% in-season data, not using preseason priors. And uh, and so my, my win probability is relatively constant. I, I, I assume it's... Um, one, one thing to factor in is like injury news gets you a little worse in the later half and some nonsense. And so that I think probably makes it go down towards the end of the season, just because that's variance you can't account for. Sure. Um, but generally I try to balance the preseason projections with the in season data to kind of make that constant over halves of the season. And, you know, I'll do a bunch of back testing. I'll split week six and then post week six and, you know, project the data, see what the difference is and, and all that. So do a bunch of testing on that, but generally try to keep it constant. Although there are some, there's some variants you just can't control for down the stretch. So when the lines came out this week, there's a couple of games here that obviously are of tremendous interest this weekend, right? You've got uh, LSU at Arkansas where uh, Ole Miss fans normally hate Arkansas. And this week they're all cheering for Arkansas. Next week they'll be cheering against Arkansas, but this week Arkansas is their buddy because they need someone to beat LSU. And obviously the uh, Ole Miss entertains Alabama Saturday afternoon. So everyone's going to be watching the 11 o'clock game in Fayetteville, hoping that the home team wins, which would let Ole Miss control its own destiny. So when the lines came out, one of the lines that really caught my attention was LSU minus three uh, at Arkansas, because I was like, what? Three? They're going to kill Arkansas. And so I pulled up uh, your stats, I think on Tuesday morning, maybe is when I saw them for the first yeah. time. And uh, you've got uh, your computer analysis has uh, LSU with a 55.67% win probability, which means Arkansas, obviously, 44.33. You've got LSU at 35.04 projected points, Arkansas at 33.07 projected points. And so I went, well, son of a bitch, Vegas isn't that far off in terms of what we maybe realistically expect here. And yet, having just saw LSU in person uh, not long ago and um, full disclosure, both of my daughters go to Arkansas. So I, I keep an eye on the hogs a little bit so that we can talk about stuff and the girls go to the games occasionally and all that. I thought that makes no sense. I still am just, my, my brain goes, my eyes look at it and go take LSU and lay the points and you're going to be good. And yet both your computers and Vegas tell me not so fast. So what is it that I'm missing when you look into these numbers? What sticks out to you that goes, well, here's what you should be looking for? Yeah, three things I think are very important here. One, I don't I don't know about KJ Jefferson's status. So this is, of course, pending, you know, weather. And um, the reason I say these aren't picks is because, yeah, weather and injuries and acts of God and who knows what's going to happen, who's hung over the morning of the game or whatever. Yeah. So can't can't project that know whether KJ is whether KJ's shoulder is ninety two percent or seventy one percent. Yep, right. and I don't do I do uh, units, and I'll explain those here to as an example with this this preview. But I don't do individual player stats to to account for it. So it's not like oh the quarterback's out, knock him six points like your traditional Vegas guys would do. I do aggregate team level stats. Um, second, I think home field advantage, I'm actually getting a little more aggressive on, I, I used to be agnostic on, and now I don't do it. A lot of places will do like plus 2.5 points or whatever. And I don't add a point total. I, I do a percentage performance increase based okay. on home field in a way. And so, um, that, that gives Arkansas a little bit more credit, I think, cause they're at home. And if you assume KJ Jefferson's uh, full strength, then, um, the, the kind of key interesting feature in this model is that running and passing are different, obviously. Running and passing on early downs, first and second downs versus third and fourth downs are different in terms of what's good for our predictive value, what's kind of, you know, ideally the best way to compare teams is how well they do on first and second downs, open field, no situational tendencies, right? Can't always do that, so you've got to count for it. So my model factors in a rush rate over expected, which says down distance yard line, how much more do you rush against the average team or th than the average team would in that situation? Arkansas, is 122nd with lower being more rushing. They're rushing 11.6 percentage points more than the average team given any situation. And they're 44th in EPA per rush. They're 23rd in offensive rushing success rate. And so they're doing it a lot and they're very good at it. My model's going to reward that. LSU's defense is 87th in EPA per rush allowed, 76th in rushing success rate allowed. So what my model sees here is that LSU is going to be able to score on Arkansas's defense, but Arkansas's unique mix of run pass 
really lets them exploit the weaker side of LSU's defense, which in turn, Arkansas's EPA per pass is 10th because obviously Kendall Bryles is really selective about when to go for the big play. And they're going to they're gonna be selective. The, the increased rushing there is going to help them have the probability of breaking that big play. That's what this model sees in terms of kind of the on-field matchup that would lead us to think, hey, Arkansas could keep this close if they were at full strength. It's absolutely fascinating. All right, so I, I want to get into the Ole Miss game. Obviously, Alabama comes to Ole Miss. Alabama's a 11-and-a-half-point uh, favorite. They're playing another thing that you can't plug into your computers because, obviously – we don't know how Alabama is going to respond to playing in an inconsequential game for the first time in a long time. And in a scenario where the, it gets announced, hey, LSU 34, let's say your score's right, LSU 34, Arkansas 32 or 31, whatever that was. I don't. I pulled up the Ole Miss one, so I don't have it up. If that happens, Alabama knows, hey, we're not going to Atlanta. We're not in the BCS. We're not playing for the national title. In that moment, it's finite. It's done. Official. How do they respond to that? Hell, I don't know. I mean, no one knows. With Nick Saban's team, it's the first time in 10 years that a Nick Saban team, can you imagine that? The first time in 10 years that a Nick Saban team won't be playing in a consequential regular season games. Unbelievable. So who knows how they'll respond to that. But you've got uh, Alabama with a 71.13% chance to win, Ole Miss at 2887 And then you've got the score. You've got Ole Miss covering, if people are looking at this from a betting perspective, Alabama at 30.38 points, Ole Miss at 22.69. So Ole Miss losing by about seven and a half points or so. Um, l- looking at those numbers, where are the areas that if you're an Ole Miss fan, you, you've you've got to overperform over the computer model? Yeah, so I will say um, just a quick plug on the BetUS show. I picked Ole Miss plus 11 and a half as one of my best bets for this week. I think they'll keep it close. Alabama awful on the road, just awful. Um, And so that certainly works in their favor. Um, I think this offense is really, really good. And it's really, really deep. Obviously I'm familiar with Zach Evans from TCU and, 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 and Judkins alongside him. Like those are just two excellent running backs. They use them. They lean on them a lot. 125th in rush rate over expected for Ole Miss and they're ninth in EPA per rush. So that's, that's about as good of a combination of rushing efficiency and volume that you're going to see Alabama's defense slightly worse against the rush. They're 31st in EPA per rush allowed compared to 24 uh, in EPA per pass. The other thing I think is really important. Alabama's done really well on third and fourth downs on defense, kind of shutting people down. That's where, for instance, Will Anderson becomes an extreme liability for opposing offenses. Because if it's third and eight, he's pinned his ear backs. He's going to come and get you. Yeah. Ole Miss is 29th on early downs EPA. They're staying ahead of the chains. They're explosive early. They're avoiding those third and longs where Will Anderson is would, would be at his most potent. And then they're 13th on third and fourth down success on offense. So I think that largely Ole Miss can make a lot of hay here just by staying out of third and eight, third and nine, obvious passing situations. Lean on your running backs, which you do at a high volume, high efficiency, and play against Alabama's strengths there by not letting Will Anderson kind of be this game-changing pressure linebacker, make him play a more traditional linebacker role. Um On the other side of things, I certainly think Alabama will score. The big issue for me is Ole Miss. We saw this starting with Davis Brin in that game. Ole Miss's secondary will let guys beat them. That'll just happen now and then. And they're going to really have to try and minimize the damage. They're 96th in EPA per pass allowed. um, And they're 92nd in passing success rate allowed. They've got to put a ceiling on that and say, hey, we're not going to give Bryce Young these explosive points. We're going to make him earn these efficiency points by continuing to move the ball successfully down the field. Alabama's offense is 27th in um, EPA per play, but they're 29th in uh, success rate. So slightly less efficient than they are explosive. Ole Miss has got to say no big play touchdowns. We've got to put the lid on this. We've got to test this offensive line, test these receivers and not get beat by chasing Bryce Young out of the pocket and letting him hit somebody deep. That's my biggest worry for Ole Miss is the secondary um, and how how their defense has just been so uh, happy to let people pass against them. But I think that they should be able to do that. And with the offense, I think they should be able to slow things down, give their defense a breath and keep this game within within double digits. You are spending a lot of time watching TCU. Um, they're having a special season. It feels like they're flirting with disaster a time or two, but they keep winning, and that's what great teams do. They find ways to win. They get Texas this week in a game that everyone's pointing at and going, hey, Cinderella's going to break the slipper here. 
when you look at it, what do you see with Texas TCU? Um, I have these as almost identical teams, uh, TCU at 15th and uh, opponent adjusted EPA per play margin and Texas at 16th. I think Texas has been the victim of some sequencing in their losses and obviously not having Quinn Ewers all season, definitely, you know, in and out of quarterbacks, although I think Hudson card is fine and they have ridiculous weapons around them. Um, I have this slightly favored towards Texas at home, 33 to 30 with Texas with a 58% win probability. Um, that hurts my heart, but I absolutely understand it. Texas's defense, 90th in EPA per pass. TCU's offense is 11th in EPA per pass. So TCU should be able to score points, but TCU's defense has really, really struggled, um, especially at the linebacker position in pass coverage. They've got two guys, Jamoy Hodge, Johnny Hodges. Johnny Hodges looks like Bill Romanowski, like thick, just typical linebacker from the 1990s, not as great in pass coverage. And so I think that's really exploitable. And with a mind like Sark on the other side of the field, being able to kind of cross those over Brennan Marion, the receivers coach does a bunch of crazy stuff with two backs out of the backfield that I think Texas is incorporating. And, and that's going to be scary because Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson are two really, really great NFL quality running backs and icing on the cake for me in the first half is that D winters TCU's best linebacker and kind of their in between guy in this three, three, five defense. He got, flagged for a dumb targeting call. Just, I mean, textbook, he hit the guy up high. It was a defenseless receiver, just a silly hit. And he's out for the first half against Texas. So I think that Texas will try to run it up pretty early and and be able to, especially passing against this linebacking core. Um, They have blown leads in the second half though. So I'm worried about their kind of what they'll be able to do sustain. Obviously TCU's come back very well and and they've settled in and made good adjustments. Um, But it'll be interesting to see kind of how they do um, with, with the narrative in the beginning. Um, one thing that I have circled, that's going to be kind of worrisome in terms of points per quality possession. So how well do you finish quality drives? Texas is 28 averaging 4.61 points per quality drive on offense. TCU's defense is 84th, 4.28. They are giving up explosive touchdowns. They're letting you score. Once you cross the 40, that could be the difference in the game. You saw the Kansas state game. They kicked a couple field goals last week against Texas and they just couldn't come back from it. I I'm worried. That's what we'll see a similar, similar narrative here for the TCU, Texas game. You mentioned, uh, you like Ole Miss plus the points. What are some other games that you really like this week? And I'm going to write these down. Yes. <laughs> let me, yeah, let me. Um, so one, we'll plug, go watch the Bet US show. We talk about a bunch of games there and I mm-hmm. give some picks. Um, uh, other games that I like this week, and especially in Power 5, um, I'm I'm rolling with Florida State minus 7.5 versus Syracuse. I think Syracuse is, is kind of spiraling the wrong direction. I do too. Um, and uh, and they're a little bit a little bit fake. Florida State, last year, their offensive and defensive metrics were way better than their record. They just had some sequencing issues, some negative big plays, some special team stuff. They've ironed that out. The offensive line looks a lot better. So I like them. Um, I like Washington State against uh, Arizona State at home, uh, seven and a half points as well. Um, and the other one I'm riding really hard this weekend is Washington at Oregon. I think Washington is a worse version of UCLA, and we saw how that went. Washington has a pretty good offense, but that defense is not very good. And I think if Michael Penix, as much as I love seeing him be free, right? He was under so much pressure, literally and figuratively, at Indiana. And I think he's a fine quarterback. Love seeing him in an offense where he can thrive. But if he gets uncomfortable, he is mistake prone. So. I think Oregon's going for style points here, knowing the playoff rankings and and the situation as well. So I like that Oregon bet as well. Yeah, Oregon's one that I had circled. Uh, I love that. I love that um, line. I liked it. It's one. Of, it's kind of my I hate for Tyler to hear this because now he'll get a little idea into my process. But part of my process is to go find games that I like first, and not get swayed by your thing. And then I go look at yours. And so I did that the other day, and there it was, Oregon, 86.21% chance to win. And you've got – your computers have them winning by about 15 points, and the line's 13 and a half. And I have noticed – and tell me if I'm wrong, please. I have found that I think your computers are a little bit conservative as it pertains to margins of victory. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, if, he's, if his computers have it at 15, that means it might be more like 18 or 19. And so – I like I liked that pick. That's sort of one of my processes when I'm picking games. Yeah. And that's and and that's beautiful. That's what I do literally for my um to pick which games I'm going to pick for the Bet US show on Sunday night, Monday morning. I sit down with a pen and paper and go through the lines and say, Do I like this? Do I not like this? Do I like it? And eliminate games, then I go to the numbers. I think that's that's a great way to use them um 
as well. And yeah, I, so I don't do any special teams. I throw out special teams entirely. Um, and, uh, I use a little bit of a tighter distribution. So like games that are, you know, complete blowouts of like 58 points or something great, like Michigan beats UConn 58 to three. It doesn't help me to keep that at 58 to three. So I usually cap that at like a 30 point spread anyway, oh, just to that's say interesting. generally okay. those yeah. outliers are not helping my predictive performance. So totally fair to say, Hey, I think this get away from them. This might be a little more volatile than the models allowing for. Oh, that's really fascinating. That, that explains a lot of the numbers too. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's how do you do you in your mind going into like next season? Do you already have some tweaks in mind into the formula from results that you've seen? Or do you think you're getting close to having it down? Yeah, so I, I do think that I'm getting close to priced in. Um, a lot of my stuff uses expected points added. And I've been, uh, you know, I try to be as stupid as possible. And I think that there's some low hanging fruit that Vegas is catching on to. So I'll definitely tweak and play around with. But again, my biggest trade off is intelligibility, interpretability versus accuracy. So yeah, man, I can build like a machine learning neural network that takes 58 variables and is precise within 0.0001% of the spread or whatever. But I can't tell you what changes if a team runs a little more or runs a little less. And I can't, I, that doesn't help me understand the, the thing on field. So I certainly try to keep it um, something that I can interpret and explain. I think a model's only as good as you can explain it. Um, I can't necessarily announce this yet, but I do have some big things in the work about data quality. Right now I'm using public data that there is a lot of errors and I'm shifting over to a data supplier. So my, my actual on-field data will be a hundred percent correct as opposed to, you know, 60 to 70% correct right now. And I'll get some more granularity, which, which helps me tweak some things like, Hey, I don't account for QB scrambles well right now, because every QB scramble is not labeled as that. Sometimes it's a run, sometimes it's a scramble. That'll help me understand run pass splits a little bit better. So things like that, this offseason, absolutely always trying to improve hold my model with an open hand. If it, if it starts going South, yep, let's, let's keep thinking, let's keep moving, but want to have something explainable. That's generally a pretty good expectation. Did you ever imagine that it would take off like this? That you'd become kind of people talking about you and, and using you as a reference and, and, and where you're probably making a living and about to make a pretty good living doing this because so many people gamble on college football. Yeah. So bet us has been very generous. They, they pay me very well. And, um, and you know, with the, um, I have a little tip jar, a buy me coffee. People respect that pretty well. And, and so I appreciate that certainly. And no, man, I mean, um, this really kind of was born out of the pandemic for the most part of just like, Hey, I just have a bunch of time. Let me just work on stuff. And um, I mean, last fall going into the season, going into the 2021 season, I, in September, someone tweeted about this. They like scraped data and tweeted about Twitter growth is the only reason I know this offhand. I'm not a sociopath. I had like 4,000 followers. Um, and I'm up, I'm up over 20,000 now. So that, I mean, just, just some pretty great growth and really respect people for sharing and appreciate that and hope that I can just continue to make cool tools that answer questions that I'm interested in and that other people find them interesting. It'll be on the screen, but for those of you who are listening in podcast form, again, it's stats. O war stats. O war. When you pull it up, it says Parker. Uh, you should absolutely follow, uh, Parker for his, um, his computer models, his thoughts on football. If you're a TCU fan, it's an absolute must as well. But even if you don't care anything about the Big 12 or TCU or whatever, you just like college football, Parker's a must follow. I I, I can't uh, I can't tell you how much I enjoy following your account. I'm gonna start watching your show now. I I was I was unaware of the show. See, I learned something myself doing this. So I'll start watching the show, get some tips here and there on some games, and um, really I've looked forward to this. It uh, exceeded my expectations. I appreciate you very much, Parker. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, man, Neil, and I, I love your stuff too. And I think I said this off air. I have a couple of friends who are Ole Miss grads who, uh, you know, always send me your stuff and say like, oh, he, he mentioned your stuff. And so that's really cool. And I love that, man. I'm happy to come on anytime. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Enjoy your weekend. Hope uh, Good luck to the Horn Frogs. I, I, I worry about them this weekend, but if they pull this one off, man, who knows, right? I mean, they, 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 they might, might take this thing all the way. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be stressful, but we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> At least you're there, right? It's better than being five and four and playing for yeah. the, you know, the Texas bowl or something. I haven't felt this kind of nervous in five or six years about TCU football. So this is certainly a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Again, thanks so much. Enjoy your weekend. Talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why, what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.